I remember the first day, the first night, we actually flew into Missoula at night. I had never been there, never been to the state of Montana, and certainly not to Missoula. And we got there at night. It was dark, couldn't really see anything, couldn't see the mountains, couldn't see uh, the campus or anything. But we stayed at that Doubletree uh, hotel there on the on the river. And uh, that the next morning, you know, so it was late, and I had to be up early because they were going to put me through a full day of interviews and all these people I needed to meet, the, the whole dog and pony show. And so. I got up early that next morning and uh, pulled the curtains open, and I swear to God, there's two guys fly fishing in the river. <laughs> there's probably a deer or two that have been cued, and it was the most beautiful scene I'd ever. I thought I had stepped into a movie. I really did. I, I thought it was. I was right in the middle of a river run through it, and uh, of course with the campus across the across the river there, and. Um, it just literally took my breath away, and and I, I think that that very moment, uh, my wife and I completely fell in love with Montana. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Alongside Colton Juanes, I am Ryan Tutel, and in this episode, we are happy to welcome the former athletic director of the University of Montana, Wayne Hogan. Wayne was the AD from 1995 when he came on right in the middle of that magical season and run to the national championship, was hired by George Dennison, and oversaw athletics at the University of Montana for nearly a decade before resigning in 2004. And Coulter, in our conversation with him, pretty easy to see how you could like Wayne Hogan pretty quickly. Very gregarious, very outgoing, and very personable. It gets lost. There was a little bit of turnover there at the University of Montana during the mid-1990s. Bill Moosey took a job at the University of Oregon after leading Montana for five years as the athletic director. Kathy Noble took over as the interim athletic director for the first nine and a half, maybe ten months of 1995. But then she took a job as an administrator in the Big Sky Conference. Wayne Hogan comes in as the AD late October, early November the man never really had to experience watching his teams lose in football games. He comes from Florida State and their unprecedented run in the first half of the 1990s, and he joins in with Montana and their run to the 1995 National Championship and then a subsequent undefeated season the following year as well. But you're right, Ryan, a very gregarious, great storyteller. Really fun to have Wayne Hogan on the podcast to remember the memories from 1995 and during his almost decade-long run at the University of Montana. Originally from Florida and going back to Florida after his tenure at the University of Montana, it was great to catch up with Wayne Hogan and hear his perspective on his time at the University of Montana. Please enjoy this conversation with former athletic director of the University of Montana, Wayne Hogan. Well, happy now to be joined on the Grizz Great Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions Podcast Series by the man who came in during that 95 season to take over as the athletic director and was so for eight years at the University of Montana, Wayne Hogan. Wayne, thank you so much for being with us. How are you? I am tremendous. It's nice to hear from you folks. I'm uh, always happy to get a call from anybody in the state of Montana, believe me. I miss it every day. Well, we're we're happy to have you on. You may miss it. We know that you're back in your home, uh, you know, state of Florida now. And as we've just turned the corner into actually cold winter, even though it's only late October, maybe we should be envying you at this point in time. But such is uh, such is the way the world works of the sun and so forth. You know, if I understand it right. 
You got it. I remember those October, uh, freezing cold October days, even uh, after all these years. I, I, one thing I do always remembered it, you could count on, th- uh, on uh, Halloween being a very, very cold experience. I, I know our kids were all dressed up in Halloween costumes, but you couldn't see them because of, of the heavy <laughs> layers of jackets. Right. Well, well, yeah, I remember. We're we're on our way to that exact yeah a lot of werewolves not a lot of surfer dudes uh, going out on Halloween in Montana right that's that's what you got to do well Wayne uh, we we got plenty to get into with you in such an interesting scenario where you take over uh, as the athletic director right in the middle of the 1995 football season and we'll get into sort of the circumstances with that but before you came to the University of Montana I mean you're from Florida originally what where were you what was your path where you all of a sudden kind of got on the radar of the school and vice versa and and sort of that led you to the university of montana during that 95 year well i had had an interesting year myself uh prior to coming to montana i uh i am a graduate of florida state and ended up uh after a few years as a as a um, a pro professional baseball broadcaster i ended up uh back at fsu as the sports information director um, and that was in, in uh, 1993. Uh, well, my, my period there was in the late 80s into the early 90s. And um, in 1994, I had been uh, tapped by the president at Florida State to be the interim athletic director at FSU. There was a turnover um, in the position, and so I served uh, for almost a year as interim. And I attempted to... Uh, to get the permanent job as the, as the athletic director. I'd been there on the staff for about uh, 17 years. I, I was Bobby Bowden's uh, PR guy. So I tell people I had the, uh, had the easiest job in America. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and he and I were close. We, we, we were together every day for 17 years. And then of course uh, had an opportunity to move up into the uh, interim AD, AD job. And you guys will appreciate this, but um, you know, I made an attempt to get the full-time position, and uh, did not did not make it. They uh, ended up the president ended up hiring a guy named Dave Hart, uh, who became the AD. And I I was so dumb and foolish back in those days. I just assumed that you know once that that uh, search for the AD was over, I was just going to slide back into my previous role. Uh, as a you know, as an associate AD, and and go back to doing some of the things I was doing before, and uh, what I didn't realize was that when the new AD came in, you know, he kind of wanted his own guys. You know, it's like a football coach turning over. And so uh, the fir- I'll, I'll never forget the first meeting I had with Dave Hart uh, at FSU was you know I, I thought he was going to say hey I'm really had- happy to have you on the team and this and that, and I walked into his office and he had the uh, human resources director there and they said we uh we're going a different direction and it's through no fault of your own hogan but in six months you're not going to have a job right so it was my introduction to uh to to big time college athletics i guess um and so and so i said what am i going to do and the first thing i thought was well you know i kind of like this ad thing i think i need to be be an athletic director if i can't do it at, at florida state you know, I'm going to go find a great, great place and, you know, kind of learn the, learn the business. Maybe it's, uh, maybe this was done for a reason. I wasn't quite, you know, quite uh, all the way uh, prepared yet. And I needed, needed a little more seasoning, so to speak. 
so uh, got involved in, in a couple of uh, positions and guys there was a there there was a great uh, uh, guy uh, he, he's now recently deceased by the name of Sam Jankovich. Sam Jankovich, one of my heroes. One of my highlights of my life was a sit-down interview with Sam where he told me stories for an hour. Love that guy. Sam was a great friend. I met him when he was the athletic director at the University of Miami. I was at Florida State. He was down at Miami. And uh, we became great friends. Um, You know, he brought uh, Dennis Erickson down there to, to Miami and you know, and, and I always heard from, from uh, Sam all of the, his Butte stories and uh, all, you know, he still had great friends in Montana. Well, he called me up, and uh, when, when he had seen that I did, did not get the position at Florida State, he called me up one day and he said, Hogan, I got a great place for you, University of Montana. And, and here I am down there in Tallahassee, Florida, and I'm going, Sam, are you crazy? <laughs> what in the world? What in the world is this Tallahassee kid going to do in Missoula, Montana? He goes, no, no, you got it. You got to listen to me. He goes, this place is fantastic. He said the president is really good. He, he gets it. Um, the athletic program is in great position. They, they've got a tremendous facility. And he goes, you just got to give it a give it a look. And so uh, he talked me into it, and I kind of got involved. And the more I read, and the more I learned, and the more people I talked to, the better it sounded. Um, and so that's kind of the way, you know, the way it came about. I managed to get into the finalists for the, for the position. I think maybe George Dennison had uh, maybe three, three of us on the, on the short list. And um, so I, I, my wife and I came out, and uh, he was kind enough to bring us both out for, for the interview. And, uh, guys, you'll, you'll love this. But, but I remember the first day, the first night, we actually flew into Missoula at night. I had never been there, never been to the state of Montana, and certainly not to Missoula. And so we got there at night. It was dark, couldn't really see anything, couldn't see the mountains, couldn't see uh, the campus or anything. But we stayed at that DoubleTree uh, hotel there on the on the river. And uh, that the next morning, you know, so it was late, and I had to be up early because they were going to put me through a full day of interviews and all these people I needed to meet and the, the whole dog and pony show. And so. I got up early that next morning and uh, pulled the curtains open, and I swear to God, there's two guys fly fishing in the river. (laughs) There's probably a deer or two that have been cued, and it was the most beautiful scene I'd ever – I thought I had stepped into a movie. I really did. I I thought it was – I was right in the middle of a river runs through it. And, uh, of course, with the campus across the the river there, and um, it just literally took my breath away. And, and I, I think that that very moment, uh, my wife and I completely fell in love with Montana. Uh, it, it only took a couple of seconds of looking out that, uh, that, that window there at the Doubletree. We'll get into some of your time in Montana. And, and George Dennison, that, I think the president angle of this, specific, specifically since you were working directly underneath him, that's interesting as well. But I want to ask you just one thing about Florida State. I mean, you're working at Florida State during the absolute height of – the epicenter of the college football world being in Florida and Florida State being as good as they had ever been. Talk about national championship in 1993. Charlie Ward wins the Heisman Trophy. Bobby Bowden is considered the don of all of college football at that moment. And, oh, by the way, University of Miami is a peer who had just dominated the college football landscape in the late 80s, early 90s as well. But being at Florida State when you got guys walking through the hall like Charlie Ward, Derek Brooks, 
Deion Sanders. I mean, that must have been amazing. What what were what was the times like at Florida State? What was it like being a part of such a unbelievable rise and such an unbelievably dominant era? It was the uh, it was the most fun that you can ever imagine, uh, you know. And I was I had a catbird seat. It was all it was all orchestrated by by Coach Bowden. Um, the culture, uh, the way he the way he operated things, the way he worked with his coaching staff, it, it was really a, a touch of genius. It was fun for me because at that time I was uh, totally um, responsible for all of the media relations and. And you can't even imagine the the number of uh, television outlets and national networks and, you know, all of the uh, major national publications that would come down. And, and of course, it would be my my role to kind of set them up with Coach Bowden and set them up with uh, some of our star players and things of that nature. So just by by sheer luck, I suppose, I was thrust into a really uh, fun and and exciting situation. It was every day was a. was a dream come true honestly in those days we were we were quite the uh quite quite on the roll and we could if we could have beat if we didn't kick wide right all the time we would have had a couple more national championships but Miami kept getting us uh on those missed field goals uh but other than that it was great you know what and it contributed to my learning process it really did um just just to be able to see how success operated you know I always felt like there was a way to be successful and a way to operate in a in a manner which you you, you were going to win games, uh, and by treating people right, by by doing the right things, by putting the right people in the right places, and it and it seems simple, and it and it seems kind of old school, but honest to goodness, you know, I never felt like we were going to lose when when I came to Montana, the first day I got there, I I just you know I I was lucky because for the last ten years, I hardly I was almost never saw a loss in football. And, uh, and so when I got to Montana, I, I just figured that was the same way it was going to be. And I said, you know, we're going to do some of the same things we did down there and, and we're, we're going to operate the program in a certain way. And we were fortunate to have the right people in the right places. And, uh, by golly, we did win. We just kept winning games in Montana. I started thinking that, that I was going to be the luckiest guy in the history of college sports. I, <laughs> right. I, it was amazing. Yeah, it's, that's crazy to think because you probably watched less than a dozen losses total during the 1990s. That's astounding to think about. But when you, uh, Wayne, well, when you a, say here's a, here's a good here's a good stat for you on that. I I I came in and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but I, when when I came in uh, when I was hired for the job and I, I came in as my my very first game as the uh, athletic director and the very first game that I ever saw the Montana Grizzlies play, we went, we played a road game at uh, Northern Arizona. It was October the 14th of, uh, of, of that year, 1995. And I went with the team. I, my, they had had my press conference uh, like on Thursday or Friday. And I left the, on the charter flight to go with the team down to Northern Arizona, my first ever Grizz game. And we won that game. We won it on a last-second field goal, <laughs> to which I said I finally got to a school where we could make a field goal. <laughs> I, I think it was a sigh of relief. I think it was a huge sigh of relief for everybody around Montana, too, because Andy Larson, to that point, had been sort of wide right himself a little bit. That was the kick that kind of got him on track, but go ahead, Wade. 
Yeah, man. And and so I'm thinking this is great. We can make field goals here. And of course that would come back later in the season to to be uh in spades. But but so we won the game. We won that game and and then I uh left to go back to uh Tallahassee to collect my stuff, get you know, kinda get organized and and move to Montana. It's not an easy thing to do when you're three thousand miles away, right? It's a long long no ball. No doubt. So, so I missed the next game. I, I'm gone for, for about 10 days, and I could not make it back to the game after that, which was a game at Idaho. Right. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not around, and uh, the Grizz go down to Moscow and, uh, in Moscow and lose the game, uh, lose that game, and, and, but, I, but I'm not there. So, so I don't see it, and I don't consider me to be a part of it. <laughs> so... so, so so, as you know, now I get back, and the game after that was Idaho State at home, and then they, they didn't lose the rest of the year. They they go they run the table uh, from that. So I saw eight games in 95, and we won all eight of them. And then if you might remember this, the, the next year we go 14-0 and 0, uh, under Mick Dennehy, and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. So the first 22 games I see – at the University of Montana were victories, 22 in a row. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, again, I, I felt like it was a magical, magical ride. It really was. Coulter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have – some financial backing to guarantee a home game, and former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics, and that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up, certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. For Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. For Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Well, Wayne, it's interesting. I want to talk about the, the athletic director lineage a little bit because Bill Moose had been the athletic director for five years or so prior to your arrival. And then Kathy Noble came in. Now, was she hired as the interim while they looked for a permanent replacement, or was she hired and then took over or it took a job at at the conference level, uh, leaving the the vacancy at Montana? Like, when did when did you get with Sam and then end up being you know one of the finalists? What was the the sort of timeline there and the turnover of ads coming to you? Yeah, the timeline was Kathy was appointed as the interim. Okay, uh, while, while there was a search being uh, uh, conducted. And I, as I recall, uh, Bill Moose probably left in the summer uh, of 95. I, I don't remember the exact timing on it, but I think it was sometimes maybe spring or summer of, uh, of 95. And Kathy was uh, already in, you know, she was an associate AD there at, at Montana. And so she was asked to step up and, and serve as the interim uh, while there was a search being conducted. And 
that search ended up lasting into the early part of the fall. So she was uh, she served several months. I'm not I'm not exactly sure of the full timeline, but I think you know six or eight months probably as the uh, as the interim AD. And she did. The timing was great because when you know she, she realized there was going to be a new new AD, she had an opportunity to go to the Big Sky, and so uh, everybody kind of ended up where where they where they wanted to be. And I'm interested when you get here because again, you're coming from Florida. You have this connection with with Sam Jankovich, but it's you know like you said, I mean, your first time in Missoula was the night before you were interviewing for the job to move here, and not just to move to Missoula, but to have you know a pretty high profile public position where that that's very relationship oriented, right? You don't know a lot of people, so when you first first of all met George Dennison and you're in the interview process, but what was it like to to first meet him, be with with him and then later on to work for him uh i was scared to death <laughs> right, right. george george gonna be a pretty intimidating guy as you may as you may remember no doubt god bless george uh, um he he was a tough guy uh and a good good interviewer himself and and he was a good good uh reader of people um and i knew i had to be on my a game you know, I, I came in and really had to, you know, work hard. I studied a lot, you know. I mean, the, you know, the, the couple of weeks prior to, to coming out for my interview process, I, I can't tell you how in-depth I felt like I needed to be. I mean, I was catching up from from zero, from, from ground zero to to try to get up to speed on who, who what names were, who people were, who people were within the athletic department. Um, studying who the coaches were of all the different sports, and uh, I, I read more material on Montana in two weeks than you can you can ever imagine, and that not only included athletics folks. So, you know, I was looking into who the deans were of all the the various colleges and and uh, history of the university itself. And man, there's just so much to learn and so much to to kind of try to commit to memory. Uh, and I was, you know, I was. Uh, I was honored to go through it. It was a rigorous day. I do have a, a, a quick funny story to tell you that the, the worst meeting, the, the, the most intimidating meeting that I had of the day, they had to be my schedule of who you had to, to meet with to interview for the job. And uh, at later in the day, like maybe three o'clock, I'd started at seven in the morning and I was going from group to group to group. And these th- these interview days are just uh, they're they're just rigorous as can be, uh, and taxing, mentally stressful, you know the whole deal. Um, and so late in the day, I saw my schedule. I think it was at four o'clock. It says a group meeting with all of the deans, the deans from all, each each of the various uh, schools at the university. And uh, so all day long, I dreaded that. I go, man, I'm going to be in there with a bunch of these deans and. You know, they're going to come up at me with, you know, I'm an athletics guy, you know, so they're going to come at me with all these uh, academic, you know, questions and, you know, how are we going to, you know, take care of the academics for the student athletes and what are my, what are my uh, aspirations for the academic performances? You know, I'm, I got all these things in my mind and I walk into the room, you know, at the end of this long day and I go, oh, here we go. And I sit down, and there's four deans there. Uh, Larry Guy and Chetta was there. Um, uh, Dave Forbes was there. They're, 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 I can't recall the whole group. There was four or five of them, and they were sitting in this room, and they had this, you know, totally academic stare on their faces. 
no smiles. <laughs> and I, I go in there and sit down, and one of them gets up and walks over and shuts the door behind me so that it's clear, you know, we're... You You're know, in the you principal's office now. <laughs> and we're in this room. We're yeah. in this room, and it's you and us. And Larry Guy and Chetta, God bless him as well. He became such a great friend. He said, uh, okay, he said, let's get right down to it here. He said, this is very important, very important to all of us in this room. And he looked me right in the eye and he says, what's your golf handicap? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, excuse me? And he says, you're from Florida, right? He goes, what is your handicap? And I said, well, I don't know. It's probably around 12 or 13, maybe maybe 10, some, when I'm, when I'm good, playing good. And he goes, great. He says, we got a golf team out here at the Missoula Country Club, and we need to recruit you to be a, <laughs> <laughs> we need a good player. Well, I mean, so that's kind I of presuming that you got the job if they're already <laughs> recruiting you to be on their golf team, right? That's pretty good. I knew right then that I was going to get along great with those guys. Yeah. We had more fun, and we laughed, and – you know, it was just, I, I remember it being a great place. Everybody was so friendly. Um, you know, there's more dynamic to it than that. Once I started in the job, it, it, it was a little more difficult. Um, you know, the one thing about, and, 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 and I think this is fair to say, and I think every Montanan would agree with this. Um, when you're an outsider coming in, they don't always give you a hundred percent trust until they get to know you. Right. You know, it's uh, Montana is a very close knit society. I mean, everybody knows everybody, and uh, it, it's um, it, it's not exactly like you can just move in there and in the and on day one be everybody's best pal. So it it took a while. It takes a while. You have to earn, you know, and I I respect that. You had to earn the trust. Uh, you had to show them that your heart was in the right place and that you're doing it for the right reasons. And um, I, I'd say it took it took you know, two or three, maybe four years before I felt like I was accepted 100 percent as, you know, you're one of us now. <laughs> you know, it, 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 uh, it's not an easy place to just just drop down into out of nowhere right no doubt no doubt but hopefully i mean you had that support right of the of the president hopefully of the deans and you kind of work into that a little bit one thing i'm i'm interested in though wayne is you know, you, you talk you spent a lot of time at florida state and saw you know you were part of of one of if not the most dominant athletic departments forget just football just in general uh that there was in the country and then you come to the university of montana you say you know i have some things that i think i'd like to do that I'd like to, to implement. And I'm always interested because you feel the athletic director position is sort of an administrative one. But also, it seems like, you know, there's this idea that, hey, I can help bring about winning, you know, on the field, on the court, and, you know, in, in for these athletics teams to some extent. And I'm interested what your view is on that and how you bring that about. You know, you're, you're not coaching the kids. The coaches are largely autonomous in the way they go about it. Obviously, you can hire and, and fire and that kind of thing. But in terms of running an athletic department – how do you implement winning into that? You know, it, it, for me, every athletic director is different. And I, I think the AD business is far different now than it was 25 years ago, 20 years ago when when I was doing this. Uh, you know, when I first came into Missoula, it was 1995. Well, we're doing a 25th anniversary show. So 25 years ago, things were a little different. Right. Um, 
I was I was uh, very much an external guy. Uh, I, I wasn't much of a of a pencil pusher, uh, as I, as everyone later came to find out. You know, I I, I wasn't uh, necessarily the best budget guy that that ever came down the road. Uh, but but I what I felt like I was was a good people person. I thought I could motivate people. I thought I could create a culture uh, there where people enjoyed coming to work. People felt like it was a winning atmosphere that we had, a we had something going that was unique. Um, and when, you know, it's the one thing that I learned in 35 years in college sports, there's something magical that happens. Once you start winning, it perpetuates itself. Things happen, you know, games that you think there's no way we can win this game. Something happens. There's a fumble at the end. There's a, there's there's something odd that happens, and all of a sudden you're going, how did we do that? Well, it just it just perpetuated itself, and you know I I really spent a lot of time you know talking with our our staff and my coaches that were there at the time. I, I knew they were really good coaches, and um, we just tried to create an atmosphere. I, I don't know any other way to put it, and um, we it, it felt good back in those days. They, 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 you know, I've been back in Missoula the last, you know, few years, a time or two, and and uh, I, I'll I always love it. I'll always love Missoula, uh, but, but it was a little different. You know, it, it's it, it's changed as as most communities too do. But uh, I'll tell you what, between '95 and you know 2005, uh, people had a spring in their step. People were people were high as a kite. They 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 had their chest was puffed out because because of the Grizz. And, and, and because of the university and because of the great things that were happening at the university. And it was just uh, an atmosphere that just felt good and it felt right. And it felt like, man, this is a place, this is a winning community and, and with a winning team and a bunch of winners that are, that are around it. And, you know, I, I can't, I'm not taking credit for creating that, but I just felt it and I felt like it needed to be fed off of. And that's what kind of what I tried to do is, it just continued to feed off of that. And, and, you know, just, again, get the right coaches, put them in the right place, and, and make them feel that way. So it was a great time. It was a great time there. Your business network infrastructure includes computers, servers, routers, cybersecurity, data backup, and more. Things can become very complex very quickly. Blackfoot Communications offers a managed services solution to cover your network, security, and communication needs. Blackfoot Managed Services. You focus on your business. We'll focus on your technology. Call us at 406-541-5000 or visit blackfootbusiness.com today. Blackfoot Connect to more. It's fascinating too stepping into a position where you have such profoundly established coaches in the revenue sports. I mean, Robin Selvig's almost been here for 30 years. Well, by the time you arrive here at the, at the University of Montana, Blaine Taylor is in the middle of his great run with men's basketball. And then Don Reed, of course, is in his 10th and what ultimately would become final season as the head coach of the Grizzlies. But Don Reed specifically, when you, when you take over this job, Wayne, as the AD, what are your thoughts on the, the football program in general and the, the man leading it? Because it seems to me like you have a well-oiled machine that you're just saying, hey, Don, you do your thing. Let, let's see how far we can ride this thing. Don, Don Reed was a beautiful man. He was a beautiful man. He was very kind to me, uh, very welcoming and very warming to me. He didn't have to be. Um, he didn't have to be. I, 
sometimes I thought he looked at me like I was from from Mars. Uh, you know, Don was that kind of guy. He didn't. He was. He was not really a man of a lot of words. And I, I never really knew what what he thought of this this young kid coming in here from from uh, Florida State. You know, thinking he knows everything about this this deal and. Uh, you know, but but he he never showed that he was very respectful of of, of me and uh, of all of us in the administration there, and and we got to be, you know, I, probably close as over, over reaction, but 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 we were uh, we were very conversant. He came to me with things that you know he wanted to accomplish, wanted to get done, and uh, and so so I thought we had a great great relationship. He did drop a bomb. When he, you know, after we won the championship, and he came in uh, not not too much later, and suddenly out of nowhere walked into my office and said he was going to retire, <laughs> and and uh, I I almost uh, just fell fell right on the floor. I just passed out and fainted almost, but, <laughs> but uh, did not did not see that coming. Did not expect it. Did not see it coming. Well, uh, a great, great guy. I, I, I miss him as well. He was a he was a wonderful dude. Let's get into the the October fourteenth, the NAU game forward for which you were a part. Not the Idaho game, notably, as we covered. That's not on you. <laughs> uh, but you know, you show up and you come to the University of Montana. It's got this great stadium at the FCS level. It's generating a lot of excitement. This team has been, you know, getting better and better and going further and further, but they have not won a national championship. Uh, they haven't, you know, gotten to, to that spot. And so as you arrive and start seeing week after week and game after game towards the end of that season, did you was your was your thought was well man I don't know I this this could be the team was it hey this will be an interesting thing to see was it just observational because you're just trying to figure it out on the fly like what was that like as you go through the end of the regular season and then I mean just wipe everybody off the off the face of the field through those first three weeks of the playoffs at Washington Grizzly Stadium well it, it, it obviously a different level from what I had witnessed at Florida State but football is football. And um, the offense that we ran at, at Montana with Dickinson and all those great receivers, uh, my gosh, the Jimmy Ferris's and the Earhart's and uh, all of these, all of these guys are uh, Matt Wells and my goodness, they're running all over the place. And I'm looking at this Don Reed, you know, offense and I'm going, wow, this, I don't care what level you're playing on. This is, this is amazing. This is a, this was devastating to opponents, and certainly, you know, as the season went on, you know, I'm thinking, what, what a great team! I mean, this is what, how lucky am I? Again, you know, I'm kind of pinching myself every day, and I'm going, man, these guys can really play. And I think when we went over to, uh, I made, I made, made my first trip over to Cheney uh, later in that season, and that was the day that we just killed them, 63 to seven, I believe. Um, and and just circus catch after circus catch and just speed and 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 I knew at that point that we had a we had something pretty pretty special going on. But the one thing I didn't know I had never, you know, had an experience with playoffs before. You know, all of my life was been around going to bowl games. Sure. You know, you get you play one game and you're done. But uh, you know, so so uh, that was 
that was uh, the, the one thing that lay out in front that I, I really wasn't sure of how that was going to run. So I, I got a chance to experience my first playoff opportunities. So you'd gone from watching Charlie Ward to then watching Dave Dickinson. What was your first impression of seeing Montana's quarterback? You know, he I just knew that he was uh, he was just hugely special. Um, you know, everybody obviously knew that. I mean, he was the talk of the town. He was the he could have been mayor. He could have been the athletic director. I, I thought maybe some days they wanted to just move me out and move him into the AD. <laughs> You know, I, I think they, they could have and they, they probably should have at that time. But, no, you know, he, he what, what a treat to watch. And uh, so, so you know, I, I feel the need to, to now tell you my favorite, favorite Don Reed story. And this, again, you know, kind of points up to a little bit how, how out in front of myself I was. You know, it was my first AD job, and I'm so excited about it. And we get to the first round of the playoffs. And uh, we're playing Eastern Kentucky, and and uh, th- that's uh, the first round is always played on Thanksgiving week, right? So uh, I remember that uh, uh, what happened was they they had to practice on Thanksgiving. So and and we did that every year I was there. Every year we were, we were in the playoffs every year, and every year, we, you know, there was no taking Thursday Thanksgiving Thursday off. You practiced in the morning, and then he gave the kids a chance to go you know, go off and have their Thanksgiving meal and all that. So I remember I went out to practice the morning, that Thanksgiving morning. Again, remembering I've only been there six weeks and or so. And so I'm standing on the side of the field watching practice. And uh, Don Reed calls the team together. It's the end of practice. He calls the team up and he goes, hey, I see where I see where our new athletic director's here. Goes, uh, Mr. Hogan, would you like to say a few words to the fellas? <laughs> and, so, and, and so I walk up in the middle of the team and I go, fellas, I got to tell you. I said, I have just enjoyed the last six weeks with you guys watching watching you guys play. I said, I, I'm still trying to keep up with all of you and get, you learn your names and learn your numbers and, and all that. But but I'm I'm getting there slowly but surely. But I said, I'll tell you one thing. I want to tell you guys something. I said, 12 months ago, I was in another program. And I said, we had uh, a team much like this team. They had a lot of components. We had a great quarterback. We had a, you know, amazing receivers. And I said, we, we won a national championship. And I said, I look at you, and I look at all the components you have out here. I am convinced that you're going to win the national championship. And I thought Don Reed was going to strangle me. Oh, <laughs> I just, I just blew his entire one game at a time theory. <laughs> with, with, this, with the, I, I declared them national champions on Thanksgiving morning with three playoff games to go, just to even get to a national championship game. So uh, after Amazing. that, I don't think Don Don Reed never called on me to address the team again after that. <laughs> Wayne, I want to ask you about the the process of hosting games back then mm. because. I think it's very interesting. We were talking to Bill Boucher, a former president at First Security Bank, and he was telling us the story of how in 1993, a couple of years before you'd been there, that Montana had only ever hosted a playoff game a couple of times in 1989. That was it. So they were not used to what that entailed in terms of the bidding and all those sorts of things. And then the local business owners, they get together and they basically say, hey, 
we'll back whatever the guarantee needs to be if you can get the game here. We know we'll sell it out. And then they end up selling it out. And, of course, 1993, 1994, great playoff games with great crowds in Missoula. But 1995, you come in. I think some people forget Montana had been rolling, but they were not one of the top couple seeds. I think that the Grizz came in as the five seed. Five, six even, maybe, maybe the six yeah. seed in that playoff. So you're going to need a couple different upsets to occur. But take us through just what it was like earning that first round bid and then how it all played out each week because you see other teams like um, you know Youngstown State, other teams like that get upset. So w- what was the just the logistical process like getting three straight games at Washington Grizz? Well, there was, you know, there was a bid process and you had to put, you know, put yourself out there on a limb a little bit. And uh, again, I go back to the leadership of, of George Dennison and, 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 uh, and, and Bill Boucher was right. Uh, without the Bill Boucher's of the world and, uh, and uh, junior trips and man, I could name, I could name a million of, of those guys that stepped up that are just, you know, just died in the wool. Grizz lovers and and you know they they wrote checks. I mean they went and got in their wallets and they wrote checks and by damn we were gonna we were gonna do it and we were gonna do it at home and they, they it, without them it would not have happened and and without you know the support of, of George uh, telling me and telling all of us in athletics that look we're gonna do everything we can do to to get these games here and and to try to you know nobody wanted to win a championship more than George Dennison nobody. Um, and he's a competitive man, and you know, and and I I felt that, and and I think that's a good way to have you know when your boss is that way, that's 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 a good thing, and uh, and and so did so did those townspeople, you know, the, the Gordy Fix, and gosh, uh, God, there's a million of them, Jim Palmer, uh, I, I you know I'm I, I know I'm leaving people out, but it's it's been a while, but um, gosh, I just remember you know just the the community coming together. And then, of course, that's the financial part. But, but what's what's even harder to explain is the, the the strain and the stress that it puts on an athletic staff. Your ticket office, you know, having to get those tickets sold and distributed, and get people in their places and collect the money, and you only have a short window. There's a short window of opportunity, and and you know it. it you know, people work around the clock. Right. Um, you know, I, I I had people in that athletic department that were literally round the clock uh, for for five six days. They were exhausted. By the time we got to the weekend, where the when the games were played, they, they could barely barely operate because they'd uh, they'd work so hard during the week. So it, it's a, it takes take, takes a team effort all, all the way around. And uh, I it was fun for me because I learned what it was all about. You know, I was you know you you think about things like the um, like Steve Hackney and, and his staff, you know, and, and all the things that they had to do. Um, and, 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 you know, the medical team uh, with Dennis and his group. And, man, it, it, it was all hands on deck. We got to be a pretty tight-knit family during those playoffs. I'll guarantee you that because we, we were pretty much together 24-7. Well, one way or another, the uh, the thing gets done, and uh, and the Grizzlies win three straight with ease, ultimately on the field, and you then you head off to Huntington, West Virginia. You play in Marshall, ironically enough, in a non-neutral site game, though it was supposed to be a neutral site game. But also, you know, by all accounts, really the best team, maybe even better than the Washington State team that Montana had played very early in that '95 season, the best team that they'd seen all year long. 
And when you go out to this game, when you go out to Huntington and you see the atmosphere and 32,000 people and all that, it's not like what it is at Florida State, I understand. But what was your experience like of, of, of a national championship culminating a national tournament with your, you know, the team that you're now, the school that you're now the athletic director for being in this thing? Well, I, I, I have to take you to the, to the arrival that uh, we made uh, when, when, again, uh, the NCAA pays for a charter flight. And so we had the team and a, a number of other uh, folks, you know, a couple hundred uh, Grizzlies of uh, various types were on the, on the flight and uh, administrators and, and others. And so we got to Huntington and uh, I went, went out to the stadium and, and did a, you know, I know the team did a walkthrough and yeah, it was pretty, pretty impressive. I, I, I admit it was impressive and, then we uh, we settled into our headquarters, uh, which was which was a Holiday Inn, in uh, in Huntington, West Virginia, um, and uh, you know we kind of kind of got in there. There it, it, there wasn't much to it. It was a typical Holiday Inn, uh, it, it, but it did have a it did have a rather spacious uh, kind of meeting room set up and all that. So it was good for a team to to stay there. So uh, we're all settled in, and and so that that evening, it's Friday night before the Saturday game, and uh, I start seeing Grizz fans start to arrive. Uh, they're coming in the doors of the Holiday Inn, and they keep coming in, and they keep coming in, and they keep coming in, and I'm thinking, you know, we're going to be there, and you know, there if we get a couple hundred people here from Missoula to, for this game, that'll be pretty good. It, it ain't easy to get from. Missoula, Montana to Huntington, West Virginia. I don't care how you how you do it. Right. But they had arranged they had arranged for all of those charter flights. And every time another charter flight hit the ground in Huntington, the the group came directly to the Holiday Inn, the team headquarters. And I swear between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. that Friday night, there must have been 2,000 Grizz fans that arrived in that place. It was absolute pandemonium. I thought it was the neatest thing I'd ever seen. It was so much fun. I, it's the most fun I've ever had, I think, in, in the business. It was That night was almost more fun than the game, believe me, because that was a night where I met a lot of Grizz fans that I got to know the, the rest of my time that I was there, that I've known from you know, the rest of my life here. So, was, it, uh, was it one of those things where you could sense that this this is a fan base that had followed a team and rooted for a team that was their guys? I mean, it's so local in Missoula, right? I mean, the, the university uh, and the team represent such a big part of, of what is, by national standards, such a small community, and they're on the precipice of doing this thing for the first time. Was that sort of the energy and emotion that was being carried through that group that night? I've never ever seen anything like it. It's just the emotions were running high, and uh, you can imagine there was more than one or two cocktails consumed. Yes. Uh, that that evening, there was singing, <laughs> there was dancing, there was uh, there there was I, I believe there was uh, uh, some members of the of uh, the band uh, were there who were uh, providing some uh, some entertainment. Um, we, we attempted at one time to get up and make, uh, some com, you know, some remarks. I think George, George Dennison wanted to, to speak to the crowd. He wanted me to speak to the crowd. He, you know, he wanted Don Reed to speak to the crowd and, uh, somebody produced a, uh, somebody produced an in-house PA 
system microphone, and we climbed up on a staircase so that we were a little bit up above the crowd and tried to make some, you know, make some rah-rah comments. And I remember being so crowded and so loud, I'm pretty sure nobody heard a word that it, that we said. Right. But it didn't matter because they were hollering and screaming and yelling Go Grizz and singing the fight song. And, uh, I mean, what an what a amazing party. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen anything quite like it at any level that I've been at. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division One AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division One AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team, as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Bill Johnson, former director of the Alumni Association, I think he estimated $375 worth of beer a minute. In the postgame. In the postgame. Yeah, in the postgame, yeah. (laughs) How accurate is that? Yeah, I'm sure that's true. true. No, No doubt, no doubt. Well, you get to Saturday. I remember, I heard, so, so you know, we'll get we'll get into the game, I'm sure. But I, as I as these things as they come on my brain right now, I, I feel like I want to want to tell you guys. But but at the end of the game, uh, that that championship game, we we can go back to details if you want during the game. But so at the end of the game, uh, we go over to this field adjacent to the stadium, and that's where uh, they brought the trophy and all of that. And of course, people are just out of their minds. And so again, you know, I'm requested to get up on this little stage in front of, you know, 2000 Grizz fans, maybe more. Uh, and, and I'm, again, I'm the new guy on the block. No, you know, nobody knows who the hell I am. <laughs> you know, And I've got this trophy. And I, I remember I, I had worn a, I, I wore a, a, a Grizz, uh, polo shirt to the game but i had a sport coat on uh, you know you know kind of an ad you know i was going to be up around the press box and all that so i had a sport coat on so i get up on this little stage with the trophy and i think don reed was there or he was on his way there or something and i step up to the microphone and the first thing i hear is a guy in the front row says take that damn coat off <laughs> <laughs> You got to represent, so I, right, Wayne? I guess I'm not supposed to be wearing this sport coat in this crowd. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah, 
and then and then here comes Reed, and here comes you know everybody, and uh, boy, what a what a joyous occasion that was. And the flight back, we didn't need we didn't need any jet fuel. That flight was uh, that came back on air. Believe me. Watching the actual game, where was your seat? Where what were you doing? What was it like to watch it all play out? Because I think that. You know, it's easy to remember Montana as the victor in that game, but maybe a little bit more difficult to remember that the Grizz were a pretty big underdog playing in front of. I mean, I know a lot of Grizz fans went, but there's still probably close to thirty thousand Marshall fans at this game. They have a bunch of future NFL guys, and they had been a national power, winning a national championship just a couple of years before. So, what do you remember about going into that game? Where were you when you were watching? What was uh, just take us through just Wayne Hogan's seat during the nineteen ninety five national championship game? Yeah, um, I actually uh, sat. I actually sat with the Grizz fans in, in the stands that day. Um, there was a big, big group, and I was. Uh, I just went over. I probably could have gotten a place in the press box if I'd wanted it, but I really felt like I wanted to be with, uh, be with the fans, and so we did. My wife was with me, and we sat with the fans. Uh, you know, almost the entire day until we got into the fourth quarter, and I was a nervous wreck. I couldn't do it anymore. I was just, I was going out of my mind. And so I had a, you know, I had an all access pass. So I went, I said, I'm going down to the field. So I went to the sideline probably with 10 or, you know, nine or 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, uh, just because I needed to be kind of away, away from the madness. Um, and so I had a, I had a bird's eye view. One of my great memories, aside from the, uh, obviously the winning field goal, was a, just an amazing play that Dickinson made uh, on a, I believe it was a, may, may have been a fourth down play over the middle to, uh, to Earhart uh, for a, for a huge first down that kept the last drive alive or, or else we, you know, we don't win the game. I mean, it was a magnificent, it was as good a college football play as you'll ever see. Uh, never forget that. And just, just the way Dave just ran that offense and took us down the field and, uh, just tremendous confidence, and uh, and it was fun being down there close because you could hear the everything the players were saying. You could hear the coaching staff, and you know I was kind of glad that I saw it from that vantage point because it gave me great respect for what they what they were doing, how they ran that thing down there. When you come into the University of Montana in, in middle of October that year. From that moment forward, I'm sure you're gathering sort of information and observing and seeing, you know, sort of the 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 importance and the significance of the football team, of the school, of the athletic department to the university, to the state, and so on. But you talked about this party beforehand. I know it was a great party after the game, but when you come back to Missoula and you see everything that happens, there's the 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 function at the you know at the Adams Center at Dahlberg Arena. There's the parade that, and and there there's just being in Missoula in the you know in the hours and days following that championship with the team. What was your experience like there? And did you have did that even continue to expand sort of your your understanding, your recognition at that moment of of what this team had accomplished for this town? No doubt about it. And again, it goes back to what I. I said a little earlier about the the feeling uh, that that permeated that that area that 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 town the area around the town and for that matter a lot of the state uh the state of montana that you know that one game and that one player and the way that game played out and and the uh the the the, the just just the courage 
and, and the way that was, you, know, you could just feel the pride. I mean, the, the pride was palpable. Um, and it, and it really set the tone again, you know, remember from my standpoint, I'm, I'm what, you know, I'm less than two months in, into, into, you know, being, being there as the AD and, and this, this, this feeling that was permeating the community that after that game and the days following the game. And the goal was in my mind, we have to keep this ride going. We have to do everything we can do to remember this feeling and and continue it and make it part of our culture because now we've done it and we can do it and we can do it again because I knew we had most of those guys coming back the following year. I mean, we had a, we had a great team returning and we had a great system. Um, we had a great system in place. And, and so I just felt, I felt the pride and I've, Felt the community spirit, and uh, it was a magical time, guys. I don't, you know, I don't know. I can't even overstate it. It was just such a great feeling to live there, and to just be a part of it. It, it was so much fun. The pride of Montanans—that's something that, for lack of a better word, we all take such great pride in being Montanans and being from Montana. But there's, to me, there's a distinct magic to the fact that the University of Montana has been built upon talented athletes mostly from Montana and that 1995 team's no different I mean talk about Dave Dickinson one of Montana's favorite sons but an array of guys from all over the state how much do you think that added just to the mystique of that team and when you talk about trying to market this and get it in a bottle and continue the success going forward how important do you think that was to what you guys then did the next 10 years well I think it's very special you know that again it's a special state and um I think, you know, I, I saw, I watched recently the uh, documentary um, that was done on Robin Selvig, uh, which I thought was just, uh, just awesome. It was, it was, uh, it was done so well. Yeah. Um, but one of, one of the things that, that was very uh, prominent in that documentary was the pride that the Lady Grizz took and the, the, the kids from the state and from taking these kids that maybe, most people thought they couldn't play uh, if they were, you know, going to other schools, out-of-state schools, whatever. But yet, uh, Robin kept those kept those kids home, and they they took so much pride in that, you know, in the programs that they came from. And um, I, I saw that with with uh, football as well. Um, and, and you know, you almost have to do it because um, you know the the, the geogra- geography is such that. Yeah, you're going to get a few kids from Washington or Idaho or or, or Oregon. Um, you're not going to go grab a whole bunch of kids out of California. Probably there's just you know a lot of options down there, um, and, and and so I, you you almost had to build it regionally, and uh, I, I think it's a tribute to the high school programs in Montana because those kids were tough and they you know they came in and not a lot of people gave them a lot of credit. Uh, but but by golly, they could uh, they could hold their own with anybody, um, and and so yeah, that that was a big big part of it, and I I fully understood that, um, and and appreciated it every day, and and you know by the time I left there, you know after eight years, uh, almost nine, I felt pride in it myself. I I felt almost like a Montanan myself. I'd been, I'd been there you know, for, for that period of time. And it created so many great relationships. 
So we uh, we go through. There's the first national championship. There's the excitement. There's the joy. There's all of that stuff. And and now you have the off season, and you go, okay, we're gonna, you know, reload. We know we Dave graduates, but we got such a great junior class. It's gonna be seniors. Everything's fine. And then, uh, as you alluded to, Don Reed walks into your office and uh, and renders you speechless with his announcement that he's going to retire. In that moment. You've been on the job like maybe four months, something like that, and now all of a sudden you have to find a replacement for the only guy who's ever won a national championship, who's beloved in the community, in the city, and so forth. And I, I want to know what that process was like. Obviously, you hire you hire Coach uh, Danaheim Mick there, you know, to, to to fill in his spot. But that had to be a pretty stressful stretch for you. Now all of a sudden the reins are in your hands of this most you know prominent program in the state. Yes, uh, yes, it was stressful. Yes, it was surprising. Uh, but I will say this, um, and and Wiley Don Reed was he he he, he was a smart cookie. Uh, he, I'm convinced that he knew exactly what he was doing with the timing of his announcement to me. Um, you know, he could have easily done that a few days after the season, uh, you know, or, or certainly in early January. But um, he tells me that he's leaving uh, not long before, uh, you know, days, I believe. I, my timing could be a little off. Uh, but not long before spring practice was to start. Um, and, you know, so – you know, you're thinking to yourself, first, there's two things. First of all, you know, I'm not going to be able to get a, an outside head coach in here in time for spring ball. So these guys are going to have to go through spring practice. We're not going to know who's going to stay and who's going to go. You know, when you bring in somebody from the outside, they're going to bring in their own guys. Um, and so this is, I said, this is going to be really dysfunctional. Secondly, we were really good. We had a lot of people returning. And Mick had put the put the whole offense together. I mean, he was he was the you know he was kind of the brains behind a lot of that. Uh, and he had been in the trenches every day. He knew the drill. He he was at at Don's right hand. And so I think because of the timing, there was never really uh, a consideration on my part to go anywhere else. There really wasn't. It it, it just wasn't. I, I'd like to say it was a hard decision, but it wasn't. Uh, it, I knew it was the right thing to do. We had to keep the continuity. Why are you going to break up a national championship team? Um, and so at least, uh, you know, I didn't make uh, probably a lot of smart decisions, but that was, a, I thought that was a smart one. And we kept, uh, we kept Mick. He was uh, the right guy at the right time. And, you know, all he does is, you know, just keeps everything going in the right direction. Get, you know, keeps, keeps the, keeps the, train moving down the track and uh hey oh we run off 14 straight wins the next season so uh so uh you know i'm looking like a genius at that point <laughs> even <laughs> right. though even though even though it even though it was a no-brainer there there was no brain in my head as many people that from that era will tell you but but again i probably lucked into that one a little bit and and don helped me by by his timing I suspect if he had given me more time, you know, I might have agonized enough that I 
I would have done something dumb and gone outside the program. Your business network infrastructure includes computers, servers, routers, cybersecurity, data backup, and more. Things can become very complex very quickly. Blackfoot Communications offers a managed services solution to cover your network, security, and communication needs. Blackfoot Managed Services. You focus on your business. We'll focus on your technology. Call us at 406-541-5000 or visit blackfootbusiness.com today. Blackfoot Connect to more. Wayne, it's clear to me doing all the interviews that we've done so far that not only was this such a pivotal moment for the University of Montana and the Missoula community, all of Western Montana as a whole, but also this set the bar for University of Montana athletics in general, but specifically the football team as well. How much of a tone, though, do you think it's set from an athletic department perspective, just from the standard uh, to then the visibility and everything that moved forward uh, after the 1995 National Championship? Well, obviously, you know, coming back the next year, I mean, you know, it's the old adage in sports, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there in in, uh, what we called 1AA football at the time, probably a lot of people out there that said, oh, it's a fluke. That's a fluke. Yeah, they're pretty good. But, you know, we I used to hear it all the time. Hey, anybody can play in the big sky. The big sky's got no no great football. You know, they, they thought all the great football was back east. And uh, so I'm sure there was a little bit of, uh, you know, well, they did it once. They had Dickinson. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll never be able to pull that off again. And I think when we, when we established the next year that this thing's not a fluke and it's for real and the program is what it is, and we could replace a Dickinson with a uh, Brian Ayotte and, um, and, and continue to, to win at, at, a high, at the highest level. I, you know, at that point, when we go all the way back to, to the get championship again, again the next year in an undefeated game, and the only way they beat us is they go out and get Randy Moss and the other kid, Kresser, uh, you know, they bring in these two world-class players and, uh, man, that was uh, just a little bit much for us. I think they, they uh, recruited their way into, uh, you know, from the Division One A ranks to, uh, to hold us off. So, uh, yeah, so we, we had established it. And, and, you know, Mick, great job by Mick Dennehy. Uh, right guy at the right place. I was happy for him. A couple of years later, you know, he was able to get a shot uh, at Utah State. Another another difficult time, you know. When I was there, I don't, I don't know what it was about me, but I kept having to fill coaching vacancies. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know if they hated working for me or what. I like to think it's because they were getting opportunities uh, elsewhere, and uh, so so that that was the next coaching hire. That was a stressful one as well, very much so. Um, but, 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 you know, I, I used to have to do that about every three years. But let me ask you this, because you do then end up hiring Joe Glenn. And uh, Joe Glenn, not a very nice, happy guy, you know, pretty <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty tough to get along with, uh, Joe Glenn there. But he comes in, and in 2001, it's another national championship for the Grizzlies. You know, I know this is the 95 national championship we're looking at, but that, I mean, that was a continued then, you know, you know, string of prominence and obviously another, another national championship with him. So what, what went into finding Joe Glenn and bringing him into the program? Well, uh, he, he blew me away. You know, I, I had never met Joe before 
uh, before the interview. A lot of people knew him because he was on the staff there uh, prior to my my coming in. Uh, he had Montana uh, ties. He had some some good background there. Very popular guy. Um, and I'd he- always heard his name. Heard his name. Heard his name. Uh, he's hard to he, he's hard to explain unless you meet him in person. And uh, he he literally blew me away. Uh, he he's a guy that he's the kind of guy I like. I mean, he's a personable, remembers people's names. Um, you know, I, I, I just thought he was the greatest representative of our program that you could get. Um, and I loved him for that. And he, uh, he was, he was the right, right hire. You know, we, every time I went to hire, there was just other names that were just really qualified and could have just as easily gotten those jobs. Um, and I had people I trusted that I kind of leaned on that, you know, advised me a little bit and, Obviously, um, President Dennison was involved, you know, in, to a certain degree. Although he trusted me, and he, you know, he would he would let me kind of go out and and do the legwork, and then bring it back to him. And at the end of the day, you know, he had to sign off on anything we did. So I thought he and I worked together pretty good as a team. You know, I would I would bring him all of the ins and outs. But Joe, you know, going back to Joe, one of my favorite guys in the world. Just loved him. Just loved him to death. Um, great guy to have in your department. There again, you know, that guy was so much more than just a football coach. He would light up the entire athletic department. You know, you, it's hard not to have a smile on your face when Joe Glenn's in the room. And, and, and the rest of the staff, you know, from the, from the secretaries to the ticket office to the accounting people, everybody that worked there in the athletic department just loved Joe Glenn. And uh, he would just—he—he he was so good for our culture and our atmosphere. And again, that continued what I'm trying to say. It's that feeling of, you know, we're doing great here. We're having fun. We're winning games, you know. And and uh, it's just if you can get into that, if you can get into that run, there's nothing like it. I, I don't. I wish I knew the formula to do it. I don't. I've been in it twice, once at FSU, once at Montana. But, you know, the sad thing is if you start going the other direction, it's just as hard to get out of it. Mm. You, know, you, know, you just it, – it's, it's one of those things in sports. It's, it, it's one of those things that you just, you just can't explain, but, but you can sure feel it when you're in it. Well, Wayne, you uh, – we'll finish up with you on this. You, you finish up at the University of Montana in 04, like you said, eight, almost nine years at the University of Montana as the AD. You are back in St. Pete, Tampa, St. Pete area now, back in Florida. But when when you left Montana, where did you go, and what what was the path for you to return home? I, I made it. I actually made another stop. I stayed uh, stayed in athletics, and I went back and uh, and I went to work at Georgia Tech. So I, I here again, my my path has not always been the the easiest one. I, I moved from Missoula, Montana, to Atlanta, Georgia. Population six million, right? And every one of them, and every one of them owns a car, and every one of them is driving the car all day long. <laughs> so, so I moved from Missoula. We we ended up in in Atlanta, and I went to work at Georgia Tech. Uh, I was a senior associate AD there. I handled all the external operations for the department, and just really loved it. We we had a good time there. It, ironically. Um, the, the, we, we hired, while I was there, we hired a football coach there, 
named Paul Johnson. And Paul Johnson, we hired him from Navy. But before Navy, he was the head coach at Georgia Southern. Yep. And he was the coach of the team that beat Montana when I was uh, when I was there. We played them down in Chattanooga, and uh, and and Paul Johnson's team uh, edged us out in a really tough, close game in the championship. So uh, so anyway, Paul Johnson and I we used to go round and round about that game, <laughs> and uh, he always claimed superiority because his team beat our Montana Grizzlies. But uh, but I I held my ground pretty good. Well, I'll tell you what, the being in Missoula, that is one nice thing. The only traffic jam I've been in was on the Clark Fork River, backed up by inner tubes. You know, just waiting for them to float <laughs> on down. That's uh, it's uh, that's okay. I can wait for that. You know, at a light in Atlanta, you know, I'm not so sure. It was the most maddening period of my life. I, you know, I loved the work. It was uh, the the work was great. Uh, I you know I got back into the ACC where I'd been at at Florida State. I mean, we actually did quite well at, when I was at Georgia Tech. Again, I, I kind of, you know, luck seems to follow me around, but uh, we did win two ACC championships in football. We went to the Orange Bowl twice uh, after that and, and just had, you know, a couple of years where we won 10 games. Um, and so, again, you know, a, a lot of fun just being back in the in the saddle again and uh, did that for a while. And, uh, just to finish it up, uh, we had a regime change at Tech. Uh, the athletic director that hired me at Georgia Tech is a guy named Dan Radakovich. And Dan ended up uh, taking the AD job at Clemson. And uh, he's done quite well there, by the way. Seems like it, yeah. Uh, since, he, since he left Tech and went to Clemson. And so uh, here we go with a new AD comes in and kind of wants his own folks. So I said, you know what, the heck with this. I'm going to go down. Uh, my wife and I are both Florida natives, and uh, we, we love the state. So we, we decided to come back, and I opened my own little business. I got a little uh, PR uh, consulting business down here. Um, you know, we're a few blocks from the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, you know, so and, – and, and among other things, I, I've been running the Florida Sports Hall of Fame, uh, just keeping my hand in things, just keeping my hand in sports. and and enjoying, enjoying my life, you know, and my, my memories are so great. And I, I, I don't want to finish this up without saying from the bottom of my heart, how much I loved both my wife and I and my kids who were there a lot. Um, we just love Montana. It, it, you know, we, we could have seen ourselves being in Montana the rest of our lives. It's a, it's just a special place and we have great friends there. And I honestly can say there's not a day that goes by that we don't we don't look at each other and say I wish we were in Montana right now, um, especially with our world with our world as crazy as it is and things going going on and and all of that. Uh, Montana looks like the right place to be. So uh, don't don't be surprised if you even see us out there sometime soon. <laughs> well, Wayne, we certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for taking the time. This has been great. Well, I enjoyed it, too, and uh, it was great memories and, and a great time. And, again, uh, I appreciate everything you guys are doing, and, and go Grizz. This has been Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast series. You can find this and all the other episodes anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Grizz Greats, and you can rate, review, subscribe, and get them whenever they come out as we roll them out weekly throughout the 2020 calendar year. You can also Go online to grizzgreats.com and listen in on the player there. You don't even have to download anything. It'll be available for you to listen to. 
Grizz Greats is brought to us by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank. Our thanks to Wayne Hogan for joining us on this episode, and our thanks to you for listening.